place to worship. I kind of feel like my sermon isn't really necessary after that worship service. This morning in our Back to the Basics series, I'm going to be preaching on worship, and you guys were doing an awesome job worshiping. It was fun to be in the presence of God and worship this morning, amen? amen. I don't know about you guys, but I needed that today. Have any of you ever had a child that asked why to pretty much everything? Have you ever had a kid like that? No. kid that just asks why to like every question. Now, first of all, there's two kinds of why. The first, question, the first type of why is like an inquisitive why. Like this is someone who's going to become an engineer or a mechanic or something like that. They ask why because they want to know why everything is the way that it is so they can know and understand and they can know how the world works. There's another kind of why, which is like challenging you, like, why do I have to load the dishwasher? Why do I have to clean my room? That, that's a whole different, different story. But I came up with a system for how to deal with these why questions. I was getting too many of them in my life. I have four daughters, way too many why questions. Like, that was going to be my entire profession for my life, was answering why. So I had to find a way to deal with it. So I found the way that you fight the why questions is you fight them with why. You answer their why with another why. So they say, why do I have to load the dishwasher? And you say, why do you want to eat my food? They say, why, why do I have to clean my room? And you say, why do you want to live in a, in a warm house? Maybe you ought to try living outside for a while. You fight off why with why. And I actually didn't come up with this, this strategy myself. It's actually a strategy that I learned from Jesus. And it's a strategy that I learned in the specific scripture that we're going to look at this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 26. I want to look at verses 6 through 13. So while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, how's that kind of a nickname for you? Like you thought your nickname was bad. We got Simon the leper. The guy's not even a leper anymore, but we still call him Simon the leper, the poor dude. It's like, guys, I don't even have leprosy. Leave me alone. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured out on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothered? Why are you bothering this woman? So here Jesus is fighting off their why with his own why. Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This beautiful worship that this woman poured out on Jesus. I love this portion of scripture. I don't know about you guys. I guess after this morning, I can say I do know about most of you, but I love to worship God. I love to worship him. I count it one of the greatest privileges of my life to be able to worship him and to give to him. I look at giving my finances to God in the same way. I look at it like it's all his anyways, and he gives it to me to steward, and if he wants me to give a portion back to him, then I do it with gratitude and excitement in my heart. I really do give in that way. Usually for me, my check gets direct deposited into my account on Monday mornings, and 
I get a notification that my check hit the account, and I'm excited to open our app for our church and to give. I used to write a check. I don't write checks anymore because it's 2024. So I, I opened my app, and I'm excited to give. And this Monday, I, I woke up, and I was ready to give, but it was a holiday, and my check didn't get the positive. And I was like, oh, man, that's lame. I don't get to give today. But on Tuesday morning, I was sitting here in my office, and I was reading the Bible, and I was reading about how Jesus laid down his life for you and me. And I got a notification that my, my check was deposited. And so I opened the church, our church's app, and I gave. And I gave with tears rolling down my face, feeling like, God, it's such a privilege that I get to give to you. It's such a, a privilege that I get to worship you, that I get to give to you with my life. That's actually the reason that we put the offering in the middle of our worship service. It's not because I couldn't find another place in the service to put it. It's because it should be an act of worship, an act of joyful giving on our parts. When I give in the offering, I don't give and I don't look at it and go, man, if I would have saved that up over the course of the year, that'd be a sweet vacation. Or I don't look outside on a day like today and go, man, if I save that up for this year, I could buy quite the snowmobile. No, I don't do that. I give and I go, God, this is the best thing that I could do with my money. The best thing. I don't ever regret giving to God. I don't ever give to him and look back and go, man, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Any act of worship that I can give to God, it's the greatest privilege of my life. What I'm going to do this morning is I want to talk to you about why I worship. Why I worship personally. And as I explain to you my why for why I worship, my hope is that you can find your why. I don't know if you've ever been in, at a place in life where you're doing something and it's like you forgot the purpose in it. You forgot why you're doing it. And there's sometimes things in our life that we do that if we don't have like a very strong why, it can get discouraging, you can lose motivation, it can be frustrating like, why do I have to go to work every day? You forget, you're going to work every day to provide for this wonderful family that God gave you. If you forget why, then you can lose your motivation in doing the thing that you're called to do. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about why I worship. Actually, the reason that I worship, I believe, is the same reason that I see in this story that this woman worships so extravagantly. So I'm going to show you three ways, three reasons why this woman worshiped. And they're actually the same reasons why I worship. And it's my prayer this morning that as, as we do that, that you'll find your why for why you worship. The first is the will to worship. The will to worship. This is the desire to worship. This woman wanted to worship. She wanted to give extravagantly. She was hungry to worship. We find this in verse 7 and 8. It says, A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclined at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why the waste? Why the waste? When I read that last week as I was putting this sermon together, why the waste? I thought, how disrespectful could you possibly be to Jesus? These are his disciples. Like, they're supposed to be the closest to him. They're supposed to care about him and know him and understand him like nobody else. This woman gives this worship extravagantly, and the response from the disciples is, why the waste? It's almost like under their breath, they're like, he's a great teacher and all, but like, all the perfume? Really? Like, maybe you want to put a dab behind his ear or something, but like, you're going to dump the whole bottle on him? Like, does he really deserve that much? Is he really worthy of that much? That's the, 
disposition that the disciples have. Not exactly the greatest day for my friends, the disciples, with this disrespectful, unappreciative attitude to Jesus. That same attitude, if you translated it to 2024, it might sound something like, why do you guys sing so loudly? Why the clapping? Why the dancing? Why does Pastor John repeat the bridge for the third time? Like, I got it the first time. Why are you doing it again? Why did Pastor John say, raise your hands? Like, if I wanted to raise my hands, I would do it on my own. I don't need the encouragement. Like, why is the weirdo waving the flag? Put the flag away, lady. Like, come on. Like, why are we doing this? How many of you guys watched the Bills game this week? Probably most of you, right? You guys watched the Bills game? It was a fun one. It was kind of weird. It was at 4.30 on a Monday, which is like, I know it was rescheduled and all, but it was a strange time, but probably most of you, I would assume, made time in your day to watch the Bills game. I did too, and it was fun to watch. It was a fun game. A couple of weeks ago, I went to my friend's house to watch the Bills game. He invited me to come over, and so I went over, and he has some, some daughters that are the age of my daughter, so I brought my two youngest daughters with me to to watch the game. So we went over there, and it became very apparent very quickly that this group of guys watches football in a different way than I watch football. Like, when I watch football, I sit on my couch, I might be like, oh, that was a horrible call. What were you thinking? Like, he was open. Come on. These guys watch football, and it is a full-contact sport just watching football. We went down into the room, and they didn't watch football in the, nor- in the living room because there was, like, carpet there. They went downstairs where there's luxury vinyl uh, a flooring where you can clean up messes easily, and there was towels around because when the Bills score a touchdown, these dudes are running lap, they're b- bumping chest, drinks flying everywhere, there's stains on the ceiling, and I'm, like, looking around like, is this for real? Are we really doing this right now? This is, like... Bill's Mafia tailgate party in my friend's house. Like, who's going to clean this up, dude? Like, this is insane. At one point, there was a bad call, what my friends perceived to be a bad call. And I wish you could have seen my daughter's faces. I mean, Jillian ran across the room and sat on my lap like she was observing a street fight for the first time. Like, (laughs) she's like looking around like, is everybody okay? And I don't blame her because, I mean, people were throwing things. People were saying stuff that they probably shouldn't have said in front of the kids. At one point at the end of the game, there was a really bad call. My friend got up from his chair and took it and smashed his chair. These dudes were losing their mind. I was like, bro, are you going to be okay? Like, are you going to go to work this week and stuff? Or are you like, should I leave you alone for the rest of the night? Like, it it was intense. So we were... We left, and we were, we were driving home, and Jillian and Tessa wanted to talk about what they had just experienced. <laughs> By talk, I mean they wanted to see a therapist. But <laughs> Jillian said, they were screaming so loud, I was plugging my ears, and I could still hear them as if my ears were not plugged. Tessa's like, they were going absolutely crazy for fat guys wearing spandex. Like... <laughs> Those dudes are huge. They're wearing the tightest pants I've ever seen in my life. They don't know you. They're, never gonna, they're not going to show up at your funeral. They don't care about you. They don't know these people at all. And they're going this crazy for them. You know, when I look at your expression for some fat guy in spandex chasing around a piece of leather, and I'm in the same boat as you, so I'm not looking down on you for being crazy. 
And I think about our worship for God and what our worship for God looks like. You know, our worship for, for a football team and for some football players and our excitement, our exuberance for them, even though they let us down every flipping year, compared to our worship for a God that literally laid down his life for us. Not figuratively, not in some, not in some metaphorical way. God who left perfect heaven, perfect relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit to come down and lay down his life and die in a, in a horrible way so that you and I could be free. So that your family didn't have to be bound by sin and death. So that addiction didn't have to be your story. So that pain and suffering wasn't going to be your testimony. So that you and I could be in relationship with him and, and be free. When I look at that, the person that's got sweat stains dripping down their shirt at the end of worship, the person who's waving a flag, the person that wants to run around church, all of a sudden doesn't seem so crazy anymore, but we seem kind of crazy for standing there holding down our chair like we're afraid it's going to run away in front of us. We seem kind of crazy for our lackadaisical approach to worshiping a God who gave everything so that you and I could have a relationship with him. Maybe you need a reminder this morning that Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the God that knows everything about you everything, the stuff that you don't want any of us to know, he knows it and he still looks at you and calls you righteous. I'm not going to stop worshiping him. It's the greatest privilege of my life to worship him. And when I look at this woman in this story that worshiped him so extravagantly with her perfume, she wanted to worship. She had the will to worship. And I want to worship him. I have the will to worship him. It doesn't matter to me if the worship team plays bad notes. Last week I was doing sound, and the worship team made some mistakes during practice, and they were picking on me saying, like, they can't get away with anything when I'm doing sound. I hear all of it. I don't care if they make mistakes. It's awesome privilege to worship him. I don't care if, if, if it's a, a group of eighth graders that are leading worship. It's an awesome privilege for me to worship him. And I'm going to worship him with my life. The second thing I see in this story is the wisdom of worship. The wisdom of worship. The real question the disciples are asking is, is there wisdom in this woman's worship, in this extravagant display of worship, or was it wasteful? Matthew 26, verses 9 and 10 says, This perfume could have been sold at a high price, and the money given to the poor. That seems like a wise thing to do with that perfume. Aware of this, Jesus said, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing for me. Ten years ago, here in this church, we replaced all the windows in the whole church, and we recited the whole church. If you were around, there, around the, at that time and you helped with that job, that probably makes you feel old, that that was 10 years ago. I was looking through my emails, trying to find the order that I placed for the, for the siding to figure out how old it was, and I couldn't believe that that was 10 years ago that we did that project. We were doing that project, and there was an older guy who wanted to help with the project, but... He knew we were going to be up on ladders and up on pick planks, and he kind of looked up there, and he went, my balance is not what it used to be, and, you know, 20 years ago, I would have been the first one up there swinging a hammer with you, but it's just not the best place for me right now. And I said, dude, like, I understand. Like, don't feel bad about that at all. Like, 
You spent enough time up on ladders. It's our turn to be up on ladders. Don't worry about it. He said, but I still want to help. I still want to be a part. I still want to invest in this. Are there ways that I could help and I could, I could support this project? And I said, absolutely. First of all, I didn't ask him to, but he gave some money to the project, which was an awesome way for him to support the project. But then he said, if I came, we, our church was wrapped in this blue aluminum back in the day, back when we used to be the blue church down by Walmart. Now we're the green church by the Redemption Center. So we was wrapped in this blue aluminum siding. And he said, you guys are going to be pulling that all off, right? And I said, yeah. He said, well, could I come down and you can rip it off and throw it down on the ground and I'll pick it up and put it on the trailer. He said, I'm happy to do that. I said, that'd be awesome. And I told him, I, I thought it was a really awesome way that he was still choosing to be a part of the project and to extravagantly worship God by serving in that way. So he came and he helped and I noticed that he was picking up nails. We were pulling all the nails as we were, as we were taking off the siding. We wanted to have a nice smooth surface to put our new, our new siding on. And so we were pulling all the nails and dropping them, and he was picking up the nails off the ground. And I noticed he was picking them up, and he was wearing a hoodie, and he was putting them in the pocket of his hoodie. And then a little while later, I saw him, and there was a pile of six-by-sixes, and he was over, and he found a, a hammer, and he was straightening out these nails. He's hammering these nails and straightening them out. And so I told him, I said, look, you don't need to straighten out the nails. Like, we have enough nails. We bought new nails to put up the siding. Like, it's not worth our time. You, you don't have to spend your time that way, straightening those nails. But every time i turn around, he'd still be over there, straightening out the nails. So I just kind of let him do his thing, like whatever, he wants to straighten the nails, knock yourself out. I'm not going to straighten any nails, but if you want to, go for it. So during the week, sometimes those of you who were helping with the project, you were out doing your day job and working, and you weren't around, and sometimes it was just me here working on the siding by myself. And this guy said, hey, you're going to be working throughout the week on the siding, right? And I said, yeah, I am. He said, can I come and I'll, I'll help you? I can hand you stuff or do whatever I can. I said, that'd be awesome. So him and I got to hang out for a couple of weeks. And we'd work on the siding, and he'd be trying to hand me siding, and I'd be pulling out the aluminum siding, pulling out the nails and dropping them. And one day we went and we got lunch together, and we came back, and we were sitting here on the side of the church, sitting in the shade. And we were talking, and I said, so why are you still straightening out the nails? Like I told you, you don't got to straighten out the nails. Like we have plenty of new nails. They're not expensive. Like it's not worth our time to straighten the nails. And he said, well, when I was growing up, I said our family was really poor. We didn't hardly have enough money to do anything. So for us, we couldn't make a cosmetic change on our house because we wanted to. For us, it was like we would just do our best to stop the snow from blowing through the boards on the side of the house in the winter. And so if we had to work on something, we would always save the nails and straighten them and reuse them again because we had to, because we couldn't afford new nails. And when, I, when he was just going around and doing that before I knew that story, it didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, why are you spending your time that way on those nails? But when he explained his story to me, all of a sudden it made a lot more sense, the reason he was using his time in that way. I think sometimes we look at people in their expression of worship, and it doesn't really make sense to us. It's like, why is that person waving a flag like that? Like, why are you doing that? Why does Pastor John want to repeat that same bridge for the third time? Like, why is the worship team playing so aggressively and so loudly? Why is this person in front of me raising their hands, and why are they singing? They can't sing. Everybody around them knows it. Like, why are they doing this? And when we don't understand 
why people are doing what they're doing, it doesn't make sense. You know, sometimes I think the person in front of you that's worshiping in the way that they are, they've experienced the grace of a God maybe in a way that you haven't. They've experienced the grace of God in a personal way that they look at their life and they're like, I saw my sin and I saw how ugly it was. It was so bad and so much worse than I ever realized. God let me see it. And when I saw how bad my sin was, and it was my sin that nailed him to the cross, and I experienced grace in that way, I can't help but worship. When you see someone clapping or someone dancing, you know, I think sometimes part of the reason we haven't experienced what that other person has experienced is because we minimize our sin. We hide our sin. We walk around with a self-righteous attitude, like we don't really need, need God's, like God's grace and forgiveness is for those other people who are sinning in that way, but I'm not that bad of a person. The Bible says, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. And I wonder what would happen to our worship services. I wonder if our worship services would look a little bit more like my friend's basement if instead of judging people for their expression of worship, we said, God, it looks to me like they've experienced something in you that I haven't. It looks like they've experienced grace in a way that I haven't. It looks like they've experienced forgiveness in a way that I haven't. Would you show yourself to me in a way that that person has seen you that would elicit an extravagant response of worship out of my heart? God, would you show yourself to me in a way that would make me look at that person and want to join them instead of looking at them and judging them. The disciples saw it as waste, but this woman saw it as wisdom. You know, how do you respond in worship? Do you ever bow down? Do you ever raise your hands? Do you ever cry during worship? And, you know, I'm just like, ah, that's not really me. Like, I'm not really going to bow down. My knees hurt. Raising my hands looks a little weird. Crying, I'm not really the crying type of person. I believe that if we experience Christ in the way that he intended us to experience him, we could not help but extravagantly worship him. I'm not asking you to, to suck it up and learn to raise your hands, you filthy heathens, and start dancing like, like I'm pointing a gun at you. I want to see your feet moving. No, I'm asking you to invite Jesus into your life in a way that you can't help but dance. You can't help but worship. I want you to experience living God in a way that literally transforms your worship. The disciples saw it as waste, but the woman saw it as wisdom to worship in this extravagant way. You, know, you invest in that which you see as valuable. You invest in what you think is valuable. Some of you, I could walk out to the parking lot and I could see what you think is valuable. You think your truck is valuable, or you, I could drive by your house, and it's like very clearly, that's what you think is valuable. And I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with investing in those things. But this woman, she invested in what she saw as valuable. What is Jesus worth to you? You know, most of what I've purchased in my life, most of what I've spent my money on, most of what I've spent my time on, my effort on, it's depreciated over time. Every vehicle I've ever bought, it goes down in value, you know? Chevy is like a rock because it drops in value, like a rock, you know? Every, everything that I've ever bought has gone down in value. For the most part, there's a few things that I've purchased that have appreciated in value. But even the things that have appreciated in value, 
when I take my last breath, none of it matters anymore. It's gone like that. And the only thing that I take with me is that which I've invested on the other side. Your relationship with Jesus goes to the other side with you. It's the only thing that you have in eternity that you can point to is your relationship with the Lord and those that you invited to come with you to the party. So why not invest in that which lives on forever? Jim Elliott Elliott said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What I want you to understand this morning about the wisdom of worship is plain and simple. I see it as the best investment I can make with my life. Like worshiping, giving extravagantly to God, plain and simple, makes perfect sense to me. There was other things that this woman could have done with her perfume, but the thing that she did with it was what made the most sense to her. So I see wisdom in worshiping God and extravagantly giving to him because it's the investment that makes the most sense to me in my life. All of you have a jar of perfume. Every single one of you has a jar of perfume. I don't know exactly what that jar of perfume looks like for you, but each one of us has something that we can extravagantly give to God. What do you have that you can extravagantly give to God? I saw somebody this week extravagantly giving to God by changing the ballast on a light downstairs. It was an act of worship that he said, God, this is something I have that I can give to you. I saw somebody this week extravagantly giving by shoveling the sidewalk out here before church so that all of us could walk in on a sidewalk and not slip. I saw somebody give their jar of perfume this week when they made a meal for someone who was in a hard place and was going to have a hard time making a meal for, that, for their family that week. What's your jar of perfume that you can give? Each one of us have something that we can give as an extravagant expression of worship to God. The third reason that I worship God, the first reason is because I have the will to worship. I want to because of what I have experienced in God. I want to worship him. The second is I see wisdom in worshiping him. It makes plain sense to me to invest in that, which is the only thing that will last for eternity. And the third thing that I see in this this story is the witness of worship. The witness of worship. This is in Matthew 26, verses 12 and 13. It says, when she poured this perfume out on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is really interesting. This woman's worship didn't even include talking. A woman not talking, a miracle right there if you ask me, based on what life is like in my house. A lot of talking going on. This, so what I see there is some of our most extravagant and important acts of worship aren't going to use our vocal cords. I think singing on a Sunday morning is awesome, and it's a beautiful expression of worship. But some worship looks like cleaning someone's bathroom who can't, can't clean it for themselves, and they're in a hard, hard spot. Sometimes the most extravagant acts of worship don't include our words at all. You know, I think if you read between the lines of this story, I think the woman looked at this jar of perfume that she had, and she thought, you know, 
if I keep this jar of perfume, it's going to make me smell good for a while. I don't know how big the jar was. I don't know how long it lasts. Let's just make up some nonsense and say it was two years. She's got this jar of perfume, and she thinks, if I keep this jar of perfume for myself, it's going to make me smell good for two years. But what Jesus said is because she gave the perfume, her life became a sweet-smelling fragrance that lives on literally into the middle of Warsaw in 2024 on a Sunday morning because we are telling her story still here today. Her life became a witness that told people for generations about the gospel of Jesus Christ because she poured out that which she had and didn't hoard it for herself. I can smell her perfume in this room today. The thing about worship is it's multifaceted. Worship is multifaceted because worship is for God, right? You're giving your worship to God. So worship is for God. But how many of you have been blessed by worshiping? How many of you experienced something in worship and it's like, man, that was for God, but somehow that was incredible for me. Like I met with God and I feel refreshed and restored and I see that clearly that used to be foggy. Like God met me in that time. So worship was for God, but it blessed me. But then the third facet of worship is worship draws men to God. Worship draws men to God. I can't tell you how many people, when I ask them their story about how they met God, worship is somehow included in that story. Maybe they came into a church like this and they heard singing and praise and worship and they looked around and they were like, boy, I don't know everything that's going on, but I want, I want that. Or they experienced God in a worship service in a way that was transformative to them or captured their heart. So your worship actually becomes a witness for someone else. I had a friend, and uh, he had been reaching out to his neighbor and their family and witnessing to them, trying to get them to come to church and wanting to tell them about God. He kind of explained his neighbor as being like a rough and tumble kind of family, like a little bit rough around the edges, like a little bit wild of a family, right? So they were always really friendly with them, and they were reaching out to him, and he would always invite him to church, but he would never come to church. Finally, my friend got a text from his neighbor, and he said, hey, my wife and I were talking last night, and we think we want to come to church. We were thinking Easter would probably be a good, a good Sunday to do it, so we want to come to Easter service with you. And that was just like a couple weeks away. So my friend texted me and all of his friends, and he asked all of us to be praying. He had been trying to reach this family for a while. He said, please be praying. I want my neighbor to come to know Jesus so bad. So we were all praying. So then Easter Sunday comes around and my friend goes to church and he saves an aisle for his neighbor to sit in. And the neighbor comes and he's got two kids and him and his wife come and they all come to the service and they come and they sit down. My friend told me worship was wild that morning. He's like, worship was crazy. So I look out of the corner of my eye and I see Susan with a flag sprinting up and down the aisles. And I'm thinking, Susan, not today. I brought my neighbor, like, save it for next Sunday. Put the flag away, Susan. Like, put it down and walk away. Susan wasn't having it. She's up and down the aisle like a crazy lady, like, like someone's chasing her, right? 
And then just as he's seeing Susan, he's going like, and then all of a sudden he hears this noise and he turns to look to see the noise and Tom is up front with a shofar and he's blowing the shofar like a trumpet, you know, do-do-do-do. And he's like, Tom, like, this guy is definitely leaving the first chance he gets. Like, he's not even going to make it to the sermon. He's definitely leaving at the break. Like, there's no doubt about it. So he leans over to his wife and he says, like, should I tell her that these people aren't always this crazy? And she's like, I don't know, maybe. And he, like, looks over and he sees his friend standing there holding his two-year-old son, and he's looking around, and he's crying. He's like, that's weird. Was he, like, that scared of Susan? Like, I know she was intimidating, but, like, <laughs> looked like Braveheart over there. But So it gets to the end of the service, and in the, in the middle, his neighbor took the kids downstairs for kids' church, and then at the end of the service, he, he went down there real quick to get his kids. He comes back up, and my friend is looking for him, and he wants to, like, tell him, like, look, like, I'm sorry, Susan was a little cray-cray this morning. Like, it's not always like that. The shofar comes out, like, twice a year. Like, it's not usually like that. And he went to tell him, before he even got the words out, he said, you know, I didn't understand everything that happened this morning. In fact, I don't understand most of what happened this morning. I didn't know what was going on most of the time. I'm just kind of looking around and seeing everybody. He said, but whatever they've got, I want. He said, you know, I, this lady was like running up and down the aisle, Braveheart style. And he said, like, I, I don't know what she experienced, but it'd be really hard to convince me that what she experienced wasn't real. Like, why else would she do that if she hadn't experienced something that was real, that was causing her to act that way? So I, I didn't understand a lot of what happened. But I looked around the room and I saw people whose families look a lot like mine except for they look like they're different now than they used to be, and I want that. Worship is a witness. Your worship shows people around you that if Jesus can be real for you, maybe he can be real for them too. People look around and they see you worshiping, and you look kind of similar to how they look, and they think, you know, if God could be real to their family, if God could make a difference in their family, maybe... Just maybe he could make a difference in mine. Your worship makes a difference. What this woman spent was worth it. Her story became a witness that's been told for the last 2,000 years every time the gospel is shared. Her worship became a fragrance that we can still smell in this place today. I don't know about you, but I want to let my worship be a witness to the people around me. So worship is a witness for the people who haven't met Jesus yet, for the people that just walk through the doors and are kind of curious, wondering, if is, is there any way Jesus could do something with me? Is there any way he would, he would accept someone like me? But parents, worship also works as a witness for your kids. Worship works as a witness for your kids. I am living proof of this. I can, uh, I can remember... Um, I have a picture in my mind. I have a number of pictures in my mind of my grandparents. Not all of them are worshiping. Some of them are doing very different things, but spanking me and stuff. But um, I, I, can, I have a picture burned in my brain of both my grandparents, my grandparents on my, my mom's side and my dad's side, sitting in the front row or standing in the front row worshiping. And I know that my grandparents were worshipers. They worshiped God when life was going well. They worshiped him when life wasn't going well. They worshiped him on the exciting times. 
And they worshipped him when they found out they had cancer. They worshipped him when things were going well with family. And they worshipped him when they didn't. And I wasn't the only person that witnessed my grandparents worshipping. My parents also witnessed my grandparents worshipping. And then my parents became worshippers. And I've spent most of my life watching my parents worship. And their worship has been a witness that's spoken to me about who Jesus is and how worthy he is of our worship. Their witness has showed me, there was times where I saw them worship when our church was in the midst of revival, and it was powerful, and it was amazing times of worship. I've seen them worship when they got in a fight on Saturday night. I've seen them come to church and worship on a Sunday morning. About 7,000 times I saw them worship when they were mad at me. (laughs) When I did something stupid on Saturday night and still Sunday morning they came here and worshiped, sometimes probably crying and going like, God, you got to reach our crazy son. Like, what are we going to do? I saw them worship when things were going well here at church. I saw them worship here where there was a church split and people said things about them that weren't true. I've seen them worship through the good times, and I've seen them worship through the bad times, and that worship was a witness to me about who Jesus is and how worthy of our worship he is. And parents, I want you to know this morning, your worship is a witness. Whether you see it or not, whether it looks like your kids are paying attention or not, whether it looks like they care or not, whether they sit through the service with their arms crossed, your worship is a witness, and you will see fruit in your kid's life from the seeds that you sow of expressing worship extravagantly to God. I want to end this morning by asking you the same five questions that I told you I was going to ask you at the end of every message in this series. I worship God because I have the will to worship. I want to worship him because of what I've experienced in him. I see wisdom in worshiping him. It just makes sense that that's the best place I could invest everything that I have. And I want my life to be a witness to people about who Jesus is. So I'm going to ask you these five questions. What is something you want to do more of? As you think about worshiping, we've been talking about worship this morning, what is something you would look at your life and you would say, I want to do more of that? What is something you want to do less of? Besides complain about the pastor that does the bridge for the third time in a row. What is something you want to do less of? You look at your life and you say, you know what? When it comes to worship, I want to do less of that. Maybe less complaining, less standing, less just being aware of how you feel in the worship service, less aware of yourself more aware of him. What is something you want to start? Maybe you look at this woman who poured out what she had that was super valuable to her. You say, you know what? I want to start to worship different. I want to start to express differently. I want to take the perfume that I have and pour it out. What is something you want to stop? You say, I want to stop being a bad example to my kids when it comes to worship. Maybe I want to stop being critical and start living a life that's grateful and worship from a place of gratitude. And what is something that you want to continue? 
Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, I ask that this would be a congregation full of worshipers. Yes, on Sunday morning when we come together like we did today, but Lord, let our lives be worshipped to you. Lord, that we wouldn't look around at people that are expressing more extravagantly than we are and say, why are they weird? What's going on with them? But we would look at them and we'd say, God, I want to experience whatever they've experienced. I ask that this would be a congregation full of people who have been forgiven much and loved much because of it. That our expression of worship would be so grand because of what we've experienced in you. There wouldn't be any way for it to be loud enough. There wouldn't be any way for it to be big enough. Because you're so worthy and we see it. God, we love you this morning. Lord, we look at this woman who had the, the will to worship, the desire to worship. She saw wisdom in it. And it became a witness. And Lord, I ask that that would be true of us, that we would be worshipers, that we would want to worship you, we would see the wisdom in it, and that our lives would be a witness to those people around us. I ask you to do it in us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to give you guys some instructions. So this, this Sunday is a, it's a little bit different in, than...